My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. Today's episode is sponsored by The Holocene Magazine. Yes, after about a year of iteration, we are releasing a print and digital magazine that'll first go live at the end of May. You can sign up and subscribe and purchase the first issue or a yearly subscription of five issues per year at holocene.one. That's the name of this podcast, dot O-N-E. Today, I'm joined for round two with renowned photographer, Chris Burkhardt. Chris Burkhardt is an accomplished explorer, photographer, creative director, speaker, and author. Traveling throughout the year to pursue the farthest expanses of Earth, Burkhardt works to capture stories that inspire humans to consider their relationship with nature while promoting the preservation of wild places everywhere. His visionary perspective has earned him opportunities to work on global, prominent campaigns with Fortune 500 clients, speak on the TED stage, design product lines, educate, and publish a growing collection of books. Along with his team, Burkhardt is based at his production studio and art gallery in the central coast of California. And he recently just released his new book called Wayward, which is available online wherever books are sold and is highly, highly recommended from not only myself, but everyone else that I've given my copy to to read recently. I hope you enjoy this episode with Chris Burkhardt. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Chris, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. My man, thanks for having me. I'm really grateful. And so, you know, we spoke almost a year ago and, and the world was a different place and different things were going on. And uh, to, to kind of start this entire conversation, I'm going to ask you the opposite of the first question I asked you last time, which was, you know, what's the last thing you think about before you go to sleep and or what keeps you up at night these days? <laughs> To be honest, I'm the dude. I'm the worst sleeper. Like I, I, I'm the guy who's like always like, what's the, what's that sleep thing? Like melatonin or some yeah. like tea or whatever. Because everything keeps me up, man. Like everything. Sometimes it's little things. It's like office stuff. It's like my kids. It's blah blah blah. Um, and and I wish it was some like romantic, beautiful kind of thing. But it's honestly usually I just try to, um, I try to not let the little things of life like get in the way. Um, because, because I can get so inundated with those. And I think that what I really love is I love right before I go to bed, start thinking about like big expeditions, like where, where's new, where could I go? Like, there's nothing great better than like dreaming of like that thing you want to go do or see, or, you know, picturing it in your head, what will it be like, you know, what will the challenges be, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I try to, um, to think about before I go to sleep. And, and that usually like kind of puts me to sleep because I can just like kind of get lost in like the dream state of it, you know? Um, totally. And I think that that's important. Like you need to have things you dream about. You need to have things that inspire you and, and keep you excited. Right. Yeah. And I think it's something, it goes back to something that Tim Ferriss always talks about, which is that sometimes the anticipation of a trip is almost better than the trip itself. Dude, it's so true. <laughs> and that's, that's honestly one of my favorite, favorite things to consider. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes I, I think I've realized that, you know, it's it's what calls type type two fun, which I know you and I are big believers and partakers in where, you know, you'll go trudge across Iceland for six days and almost get hypothermia on all your extremities. But you look back on it with like such just rosy cheeks and happiness. But during it, you you would want to be anywhere else, right? 
I mean, that's that's the truth of the matter. You know, type two fun, type three fun, right? When you're in it, it's always challenging, as you said. But I think the key thing is like, as you get older or as you get more experience, you start to recognize those moments more. And I'll tell you one thing, there's definitely been those moments where I'm in the midst of it. You know, my feet are cold and my hands are freezing or I'm like, where's my next meal coming from? I can't sleep yet, yeah, whatever it is, whatever trial. And you're kind of like, this sucks, but I'll appreciate it later. I've kind of tried to reorchestrate this the way I'm thinking about it to being like, you know what, this is rad. Like, I'm not just gonna appreciate this later. I'm gonna appreciate this now. I'm gonna try to like revel in what this is right now because I feel in some way too, like the, the character of a person is how you deal with situations when they are challenging, when, they, when there is strife, when, when everything's not going right. It's not how you deal with things when everything's peachy, you know? Yeah, totally. And so last time we recorded, you had just finished uh, this this traverse of Iceland that we just spoke about. And uh, and in between and after that, you did a traverse of the West Fjords with uh, a few other cyclists. And uh, upcoming is the West Fjords Challenge, right? Um, and you're going to go back yes, and do that? Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm considering it, yeah, like I, I have other, pro- it's, it's kind of hard for me to be like, I want to go back and do the same exact route. Yeah, totally. As much as that sounds fun, I'm not much of like a race, racer kind of person. Like I, I built the route in the hopes that others can come and experience it. Um, it would be fun to share it with them. But I also kind of want to do other things. Like there's there's this big 250 mile, mile ride around the Snipelessness Peninsula that's really caught my eye. And then there's, you know, this this huge like expedition along the southern coast it's like bikes and pack rafts and all this stuff so i'm i'm definitely kind of trying to consider um other projects that i could do that that might be a little more fulfilling or might paint a broader picture of what's exciting but um, that route is going to be amazing the race is going to be incredible for anybody that does it and who hasn't been there and it's honestly being set up by amazing people and i would say it's like I, i feel so privileged to be able to like share that with folks and and allow for them to go experience it themselves because that's kind of the ultimate penultimate joy of writing is like you get to see others go and and have that same fun you know totally and when you do go uh scope out those other two routes uh sign me up i'm down especially the pack rafting one that sounds like so much fun uh, <laughs> have you done a bit of that have you have you done a, a bit of pack rafting at all uh, I have not, but I've done the expedition biking, especially the mountain biking, the gravel, the road biking. And I had uh, a guy I knew, Joey Schusler. I don't know if you're if you know who that is or not. Yeah, um, I know Joey. I don't. I, I like. I'm a fan of his on Instagram. We follow totally. each other, and he's a yeah. rad dude. I don't know him personally, but he's a rad guy. So the the little story that I have is so when I was racing uh, mountain bikes in Colorado and Durango, so like I was on the same team as like Payson and Howard Gross and like some no guys. No way, man! Yeah, what you, a small you, world. That's rad. You, you rode with um i remember there was this one race at crested butte and you know we were in the group and so obviously like howard and payson are above and way faster than everyone else they're there in the front and then the rest of the pack like 80 of us are climbing up the the because it's a cross-country race we were climbing up the the like the ski access roads and then on the way down we're all kind of scooting around and then joey just comes ripping past all of us on a six inch travel bike in a cross-country race like going four times faster than all of us not even on the trail just like bushwhacking through the grass down a double black diamond and so like it happened every lap like i would pass him on the climb and then he would just shoot past everyone on the descent um 
But but going off that, he did this really uh, there's a short film about it called Flashes of the Altai, where I think he did pack rafting and mountain biking in Mongolia, um, and yeah. it's wild. And and the first time I saw that, I said like the first opportunity I have to get with a grad group of people and do something like that because it's very logistically intensive. Like I'm I want I'll I'll just say yes. I don't care where it is or what it is or what's involved. Like I'll make sure I'm ready to do it and I can help. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane, man. I, I've I've seen that. And, you know, it's so cool. I think there's like something to be said for when you get to this sort of level of experience um, within some sport or some place or whatever it is. It's so cool when you feel like you can start pushing the envelope more and more and more. You can start exploring deeper and deeper and deeper, right, into, um, into say, like, oh, okay, well, mountain biking is fun. Let's go, like, mountain bike and pack raft and whatnot. And then, you know, to me, it's all about, like, it's all about accessing new landscapes. Like I don't really care what the mode of transportation is. I just like the fact that bikes or by foot or by boat or by skis or whatever can allow you to access a landscape. Um, for some people, maybe it's more about riding that trail specifically. Um, but I just want to like see places people haven't. I want to see views people haven't. I want to, I want to interact with the landscape in a more intimate way than I've seen in the past. Yeah, and and I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that the best thing about all those modes of transportation you mentioned is not only are they, you know, have a, such a lesser impact on the planet than using a plane or a car, but beyond that, like the overall body and mental health you gain from just like that exertion, I just, to me, that's almost the best part. Uh, it's about the best like side yeah. effect, right? It's got to be gnarly having, you know, spent that time in Durango because it's like, what is it like almost every single Olympic mountain bike athlete that's oh, yeah. from the U S has been, been from <laughs> Durango. Dude, the, the, yeah. the talent field there is so stacked. Um, it's, it's overwhelming. I'm like scared to ride there. <laughs> I, so I, I came from Massachusetts where I grew up and I was one of the faster kids around. And then I went to Durango and I was like the slowest kid. Um, <laughs> cause that's just, yeah. I mean, I, my, my, the, the, the bed of my dorm room, I remember had a Garmin wash the time and I always would go to bed and look at it. It would be like 78, 72 feet. That's like, that was the elevation I slept at. So I think that's the, the biggest kind of hurdle, right? Like the Howard Grot story. So Howard Grotz for people that aren't aware is a multi-time U S national champion, um, has competed in world cups, not now retired mostly, but, um, he was actually picked up by a guy named Chad Cheney. Uh, he saw Howard riding over, um, I think it was Hermosa Pass into downtown Durango, and he would literally commute like 15 miles back and forth to school each day on a bike. And one day, like, Chad picked him up and asked what he was doing. And so because he did this in his entire life, and he was a small, smaller kid, like, he was just this incredible climber. And, and he ended up, you know, utilizing that strength and ability, and they ended up honing his skill. And then, you know, people like Payson who came from Texas went to Durango and really that's what I, in my mind, that's when he became like a really strong racer. And then you have guys like Christopher Blevins, you know, who just won a world cup. Um, I, I remember, I would say the, the, and we'll move on from this quickly, but there's this ride called the funny because I I do feel like you're spot on. It's like one of those things where, where, you know, you you can be fast and you can be this and that, but like until you're at that elevation, and you're dealing with those changing conditions. Like or you gas just, you, you so can't hard. really compete. 
yeah. you can't compete with like the, with like that global stage. It's amazing. No, and and the world's ride. So the world's ride was basically like the who's who of uh, cycling would come out for a road ride on Tuesdays. And I remember uh, one time it was a smaller group of like thirty of us, and Howard was there, Chris Blevins was there when he's still a teenager, Ned Overin, the first ever like U.S. mountain bike world champion, was there. Um, I think Christoph Souser was there, who's like an ex world marathon champion, and there was a crash. And it was actually like. Uh, trash night and so someone had left their like garbage cans out into the road and you know this group of guys were and a couple girls were um we were averaging like 32 33 miles an hour on the flats in durango because there's just so much power we're all just taking yeah taking taking pulls and one of them just clipped one of the garbage cans and took out the next few riders after that um chris blevin snapped his tarmac in half my other friend uh i ended up taking him to the hospital but i thanked ned overend and i i shook his hand after because he reacted so quickly that i just stuck to his wheel and managed to like avoid the crash and if i hadn't been behind ned overend i think i would have gone down right right with chris um but it's just so heavy it's it's just it's just the kind of beautiful thing about cycling right it's like we're, we're all there to have fun but when when it gets competitive cycling like it's it's serious right it's it's, it gets it gets fun it's funny because i think that's the only way that i've been able to like carve a niche out is by being like well i love riding bikes but i i i want to combine my experience planning orchestrating and and doing expeditions with exactly right so and i and i think it's funny because you know as odd as it is you know kind of having this ultra endurance like pedigree in some capacity it's like i i noticed that there's this there's this like length of time where like you know your world like somebody can be a world-class athlete to 100 200 miles blah 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 blah. but once it once it hits this like 300 mile or more threshold it's the twilight zone (laughs) yeah everything changes because because at that moment you have to then start to consider okay well where do i resupply Okay, well, where do I sleep? Okay, well, what do I carry? And I and I think all of those considerations are what get me excited about riding. Oh yeah, and plus, like the the physiological perspective of the fact that your muscles are just solid lactic acid at that point, you are just so fatigued. You know, like you, you you're you're gonna bonk whether or not you're eating the entire time or not, right? It's just you're at the end of your your limits. Um, and well, kind of go, it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, totally. And it's funny because like, it's like anybody, I've always said this, I'm like, anybody can survive a century ride with like, you know, one bottle of water and no food. Like I've done it a thousand times. Anybody can survive nearly anything when all of a sudden you're, you're, you're collapsing into the arms of a team or a coach or a support system. But what happens when you aren't, you know, you, you can't ride the same, you know, totally. you really can't cause you'll, you'll totally fatigue yourself for the next day two days three days four or five hundred miles you know yeah and 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 that's that's the stuff i love too and so two expeditions that um i'll i'll, I'll make the invite right now um me and a couple of friends have been wanting to mountain bike up and down kilimanjaro um i got the no way that's yeah sick. i had the opportunity to, to to hike it last year and i was talking to my guide who, who lives in the village of moshi right at the kind of the base of Kili. And uh, I asked him about mountain biking, and he's like, yeah, there's actually a, like a route that are, is used for people in their 80s who still want to climb Kilimanjaro and do it over 10 days slowly, but it's just like the perfect grade that pretty much you can ride your bike up like and down about 90 to 92% of the entire route, and you have to hike the rest of it. And I was like, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds rad. I so if you, want, if you want to come, feel free. And then the second one is uh, there's this amazing... Uh, specialized video from 2010 
where Matt Hunter rides the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is like, you know, a famous 10-day hiking trail that circumnavigates Mont, the base of Mont Blanc. And he mountain biked it in like three days. And it's like a fallen Enduro ride because like some of these descents, you're like, you want a six-inch travel bike and you're hiking up the other side. But yes. that, that to me seems like the most fun. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally, man. It's, it's, it, I've heard people do it and I, 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 I hear it's just a sick, like a sick trip, you know? So yeah, well, feel free to join yeah. when we go. I'll, I'll let you know about it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, um, moving forward. So you recently released your book wayward. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I know you've been doing a lot of press uh, about this and, and you've been asked, uh, every question, every which way about, why you wrote the book and what the book is about. And so I, I thought I'd approach this from a completely different angle. And I really want to focus on the people that you highlight in the book and how those people help shaped your journey. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I can think of, of you know, I, I feel like some of your most famous photographs that you've ever put out were all enabled because of another human being either inspired you or is with you or kind of pushed you or just, just enabled that. And I think that's pretty common for most photographers, right? It's like they discovered a place because of someone else or there was by accident. And there was always these people that we meet along the way that allow us to create. So I, I, I figured the best person to start with would be Eric. And I, the first question for you would be, you know, if you could describe Eric uh, in three words, what would they be? Eric request. Yes. Is that, yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric is interesting because he was, it, it truly is. You, you really nailed it on the head. I think that, I think that um, the landscapes are always the subject, but the people are the ones that, that truly allow you the access to great experiences. You know, I've, I've never been much of like a, you know, I'm going to travel solo and I, and I do like doing solo experiences. I've done a lot of long solo bike rides and, and backpacking and this and that, but but I think that for me, life is more joyous when shared. And and I also appreciate the lessons people teach me. And I remember early in my career, Eric Soderquist, he's the guy that I, he was my first like muse, my, my friend who I photographed a lot. And he wasn't this professional surfer. He wasn't this like high level pro surfer. He was just like a guy who surfed every day, had a couple sponsors. Um, point being is that he was willing, he was willing and he was creative. And, and I learned very quickly that I was more successful working with people who were just willing and open and creative as opposed to being the, the highest elite pro athlete on the planet, you know, although that's great for like fanfare, it didn't translate to beautiful imagery. And so I've always told people starting in their career early in their, their photographic journey. I'm like, this is who you want to find. You want to find that person who's willing to like entertain your ideas, who's willing to support you in that. Um, and so, yeah, Eric, he taught me a lot. And one of the things that I think he taught me was really how to live in the moment. Like Eric was the iconic, like what kind of live paycheck to paycheck, just sort of cruising, like always, we're always more concerned about where the next place was to surf and where, you know, than necessarily anything else. You know, he was the guy who'd be going down the beach, you know, with a, with a can of tuna and some saltine crackers and, and just like was so like in the moment. And I was always like, Oh, my career, my career, like, this is what I want to do. And this is where I want to go. And obviously I was very like, like, what is the next five years look like focused early in my career? I was like 20 years old. Um, so, so I think that, uh, I think that he taught me just so much from that perspective. And I think that was sort of the biggest eye opener to me was like, 
was like, oh, I need to like maybe chill a little bit. I need to like learn to to just enjoy all of these little moments a little more. And, and I think that's, I guess, like, I, I think that's the thing I really attribute him the most um, to, so. And and going back to the original question, if you could describe them in three words, what would they be? Um, I mean, three words, it would just be like, um, you know, patient, uh, you know, soulful and um, creative. You know, I think that's that's kind of ways that describe him. He was never seemingly never in a rush. He was an artist like that's what he did when he was not working at like power plants and stuff. And um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he just you know, I think that like there was a, a, an element to him that felt like he was there to soak in the experience, you know. And it seems like his the work you did with him initially really created the foundation of your entire career and allowed you the opportunities. It seemed like that Surfer Magazine $5,000 scholarship was really kind of like a turning point for you, right? It was a, a time when you really kind of first started, uh, you know, pushing forward in that career, right? Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He um, that was that was kind of the critical moment, right? It was like Eric and I were driving up and down the California coast, searching for waves, looking for adventures, and he and I came up with the idea to do this book, the California Surf Project. We had no clue that it would ever happen or that an opportunity would ever present itself, but it did in the form of this this grant that I won, the five thousand dollar grant for the best upcoming surf photographer in honor of Larry flame, right? The, the flame yeah. kind of award. Um, and, and, you know, long story short, it's, it's that set the precedent for the rest of my career. That trip was quintessential in creating opportunities for me to shoot every single day, because beforehand I was just, I was shooting stuff for the magazine here and there. I was trying to like get a bearing on my career and my life, but all of a sudden I had this access, this money, where I could live very meagerly, very humbly, um, out of a Volkswagen bus for, for two months, um, you know, 50 days shooting every single day, every single day, morning and night, all day. That's all I cared about. I cared about that before food, before sleep, before anything. And so that was like a critical time in life and, and in my journey, just to like carve out my own niche, my own style, figure out who I was, answer a lot of questions that I had. That sounds like the best person you could have had at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty nuts, man. And so another person uh, who I've met personally, who I know you've done a lot of different uh, projects with, who has now become quite the videographer and director in his own right, um, Ben Wheeland, you know, so, so you've yeah. worked on a few films with him. What, how, how is working with Ben kind of help shape your own view of the human experience? Yeah. So, um, so basically Ben is somebody who is, is interesting because I was kind of like a little bit further in my career. Um, at the time that we met, I had done a couple trips for surfer magazine, but I was pretty unfulfilled. I was looking and exploring and wanting to explore more cold places like Alaska and Iceland and, and Norway and, you know, all these dreamy locations, but I, I hadn't gone there. I had no idea what I was getting into. And Ben, you know, bless his heart. He, he had the same dreams, but he had just been kind of like making a blog about it, like uh, called Cold Water Journal. Um, and and he would just do these, you know, kind of blog reports about photos he found off the internet. And I was like, I found him. And I think a, a mutual friend connected us. I was like, this guy's rad. Like, I'm like, this guy has it. You know, he he gets it. He knows what, we're, what I'm looking for. He knows what he's looking for. But he had no experience, like none at all. Like he didn't 
um, you know, come to the table. He wasn't a videographer. He was like, you know, you know, a designer by trade. And um, he had maybe written a couple things, but I met with Ben and, and we hit it off. And honestly, it was funny because we, we, we dream big and we hit it off, but then it was like, there was no real like plans to do anything. It was kind of like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And um, it took a couple of years and we did our first trip. Um, and Ben, Ben's job was to go and write an article from the trip. And then, um, and we came back and it was a, it was an amazing mission to a New Zealand South Island in the middle of the winter. It was freezing cold. We were there in like February, really cool crew. And, and we just like, we connected, we connected on a lot of things like spiritual spirituality, you know, was one of them. And just our, our, our attention to like detail around these places. Ben was so creative in a different way. I was always like frothing on the photograph, the moment, this and that, but Ben was trying to like absorb the experience. And I think that really translated well. And we started traveling together and then it was funny because I remember kind of, you know, Ben is now a, a world renowned cinematographer, super talented, yeah, but in the beginning it was like, I, I remember telling him like, you need to, you need a film on these trips. Like you need to bring something else to the table. It was almost out of necessity um, that I was like, well, you know, you're, you're writing the story, but you could make more money if you just filmed a little bit. And then he started going and filming and uh, for our first trip to Norway. And all, and that's like, that's how it started his career. It was like, oh, I could film. And he had no idea what he was doing, just like picking up the camera here and there. Um, but he crushed it. And it was so cool. To, like, I, I'm so grateful I got to witness the birth of his whole career kind of in that way. And just, you know, over time, seeing him like step up, step up. And he, he combined all these elements of what he loved, the typography and, and design and, and illustration and everything into his, what he created. And so Ben, um, he's been a real confidant. He's been a real, um, somebody that I love, somebody that I just care about. And, and I guess, you know, there are those people who I feel like bring out the best in you and bring out the best in a place. And he is truly one of those people. I, I love that. And I think it goes back to the original point of this, this section of the podcast is, you know, like people really do make every experience. Right. Um, and, and so going off of that with, with Ben, do you have any memorable stories from your many trips around the globe together that really kind of stick out? That'll always, you know, be the first in your head that you tell it, you know, a round table with his kids, you know? Shoot. I mean, with Ben, I think that honestly, one of the coolest experiences for us both was when we went to Norway uh, together. And I mean, that the trip was like, the, it's not like there's a single experience. There's so many in this one trip that were like, I mean, we, we were, we basically got to Northern Norway, Vardo. We had both, you know, researched the crap out of this place. And we got there and realized that all the roads we wanted to drive on were just covered in snow. Like there was no <laughs> way we were getting out to where we wanted to go. And so Ben and I are like negotiating with these guys who are just fresh off the oil ships um, at their apartment in this, like, you know, we're, we're way above the Arctic Circle, way up by like Murmansk, Russia. And we're negotiating with them on taking snowmobiles out to these cabins that they own. Dudes we had never met, these huge guys, like, like who we're like, hey, can we just basically go out to your cabin and try to surf? And, and I realized in that moment, like, we're so in over our heads. Like, all the surfers are back at the apartment, like, just sitting there watching Netflix or whatever. And we're, like, making deals with these <laughs> dudes, trying to figure out a way to, like, salvage this trip. And um, I just think, like, at one point we were thinking about taking dog sleds because that was an option. Snowmobiles or dog sleds and um, or sled dogs, right? And, and the sled dogs were cheaper, but they, we couldn't carry as much stuff. And so I was just like, dude, like, we're so in over our heads. But 
but I, I wouldn't rather be doing this with anybody because we're going to make it work. Like we're fully going to just make it work. And it was sick to see um, us just kind of like problem solve, you know, like you need people in those situations where you can just go into problem solving mode. Absolutely. And I do think that's like, that really is like a crazy special rad scenario. Uh, excuse me. I'm, I'm so jet lagged right now. I got home from my at 2 a.m. Okay. And, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm yawning a tiny bit, but it's it's not because of disinterest. <laughs> I'm just like my body is on the worst time clock. Um, but Ben, in those situations, you know, it's funny because I, I think we both bring something special to the table, and and I I would always see him like, you know, the classic Ben thing. If you spend any time around him, he's, he's always just says he's like, oh flip, like which is like <laughs> when something when he's just like so out of his element, like doesn't know what to do, and. Um, but I think the thing I, I really I really love about him is like I can be like that person who's kind of like over prepared, always overthinking, always over planning. And Ben is kind of approaches it from the opposite. Yes, he plans and he thinks, but he he really leaves a lot up to the mystery of it all. And he seems to capture that well, and it serves him beautifully. And I I think that's what's so fun about about working with him is um whenever we're thrust into those situations, we kind of always manage to work things out, even if we're trying to negotiate with like you know, these gnarly Norwegian dudes on, on, you know, snowmobiling out to this wave um, that, you know, and, and then we, we ended up going to that cabin things got kind of rowdy and, and crazy. Like, you know, dudes were like, you know, as they do really hammered and drunk. And, and uh, we ended up like hiding in our bedroom and locking the door for, for most of the night. Um, it was, it was a, a, a an opening experience to say the least and something I'll never forget. And just to, to date us, what year was that? Did that trip happen? That was like right around 2012, I think, 2012, 2013. Okay, cool. And then uh, before we move on from Ben, is, th- is there a favorite project you have done with him? Um, man, our first trip to the Aleutians were by, by far the most mind-blowing because Ben and I had researched it a lot for years. We had, you know, it's always cool when you, when you start looking at a place and you're like oh my gosh i've seen this in photographs i've I've looked at this on maps and then all of a sudden you're there and you're standing on the beach and you're taking it in and to do that together with like a shared experience feels really special feels really unique and um i think that ben and i both just like that's one of our our skill sets our, our our real um advantages to our personalities is that we don't take things for granted right like we know when it's special we know when it's when it's when it's good we know when it's unique and that was one of those trips where we're like this is this is unique like let's make sure we we don't sleep in we don't like you know you, you can't take a single moment for granted because like when will we be back here you know and i think that was one of them like just to even get the budget to go was like just by the skin of our teeth you know and so we we got there and we scored we made a film called cradle of storms and um it's definitely like early work of Ben's. I'm sure there's a million things he would change and there's a million things I would change, but we were so proud of that. And I think it really some summarizes our experience and our friendship and our friendship has been based around um, traveling to new and unique places and documenting them and bringing them to life. Sounds fantastic. Uh, Ellie Thor. Yeah. So you said, but like, I, I think this is kind of two parts. Um, first, I, I think that you've had, and you've done a lot of fun expeditions with him in and around Iceland. And that's kind of the first part. And then the second part is, is the film you made. Um, is it Unner? Is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, yes. Unner is his daughter. 
Yes, and then so that was that's the kind of second part I would dive into is that that short film you made about his daughter and really about what seems like the responsibility of bearing a child in the natural world and and like the the responsibility you owe that child while also trying to remain yourself and live the life you want to live, right? Um, yeah, so, you, you nailed it. That's the elevator pitch right there. <laughs> so so with with Ellie Thor, like how, how did you meet him? Yeah, so um, it was funny because Ellie <laughs> Ellie obviously he's Icelandic. I've been to Iceland a million times. I've been going there for uh, maybe 15 years now. I didn't meet Ellie until I was going there to Iceland for about four or five years. And he was a surfer, uh, surfer, you know, snowboarder, kayaker turned surfer. And um, I had heard about him just because I knew some of the local surfers there. And, and then when I finally met him, it was funny because I had reached out to him and I was actually doing a trip um, helping guide uh, a popular YouTuber named um, Devin Devin Supertramp. Um, yeah, he makes he makes videos and whatnot. Really cool friend, good friend of mine. And I was going there helping him kind of produce some stuff. And I was like, Ellie, would you mind like guiding? Like I don't you know never worked with you before, but so we didn't meet on a surf trip. We met like on a trip, like kind of shooting landscapes and this and that. And I remember we were just sitting in the car together, driving a lot, and as you do in Iceland, just talking about everything. Like I was like, "Holy cow! Like we have so many interests." You know, it was kind of like that scene in Step Brothers where we're like, "Do we just become best friends?" <laughs> yeah. um, because we have so many interests, and he comes from this kayaking background, and and you know understands Iceland's landscape like no other. You know, really adventurous family, and then I come from this you know surf photography background, and he was kind of getting into surf photography at the time, and I, I just felt like it was such a cool kinship, and he's since become one of my dear friends and somebody that I've, I've obviously like spent time with every time I go, I just love him to death. And he has cultivated for me so many of my most memorable experiences there as have locals everywhere that I go, right? Like any time that I connect with a local, that's the beginnings of not only a deeper relationship with the place, but with these people in general. Right. And I think that in order to foster deep and, and, and intimate connections with the location, you need to tap into the local community and understand what their needs are, what their desires are. And Ellie really taught me to look at Iceland from a local's perspective and, and address local issues and things like that. And, and so going off that, when did you decide to make the short film about his daughter? Like I'm just, that was like a really interesting conversation to begin with and kind of happenstance. Yeah. um, Basically, getting to know Ellie over the years, you know, we had spent numerous trips just like driving and talking and, and, and understanding what he was going through. And, um, you know, and just like understanding the complications of, of, uh, of, you know, being a single parent, right. He obviously co-parented with his partner, but he was raising his daughter, you know, at times on his own. Right. And so to, to understand that I felt a lot of, um, kinship to that because I was raised by my mom. And so I think that as my, career and life evolved and grew i was provided the opportunity to tell some stories and make some films and um and whenever you know people are coming to me saying oh do you have any ideas blah blah, blah. like this story just came to mind i was like well i'd love to tell tell i'd love to make a film about my friend and here's the story and here's what it is and so i found some um i found some brand partners who would be willing to do that right like very like very um you know, kind of low impact branded content, right? Where like he's wearing a billabong wetsuit in the video totally. and he's shooting yeah. with a Sony camera, like you can't even tell. Um, and the whole point is like, they wanted to make a film that then, um, you know, that then kind of shared how their products could could ultimately like um, be used by a, by a person who's dealing with real life things, right? And that was kind of the whole point. 
Um, so I was able to, to, to kind of extrapolate his story and put it into like a little 15, 16 minute piece. And I still think it's one of my most meaningful projects to date. And I think that the reason is because he's such a, he's a character that I respect so much. He's a person that I, I look to for strength and inspiration. And, um, and yeah, that was kind of like how it came to light, you know, and I, I guess I would say that you know, as a filmmaker or as a storyteller, you're oftentimes telling stories that personally affect you and intimately affect you, but you're looking for ways to share them um, in a new light. And that's kind of what happened, right? Like that's what came to life is like, is like Ellie is somebody that um, I, I relate to on many levels. And I guess if anything, maybe I'm scared to tell my own story. So it was easier to tell through his perspective. That actually brings up a, a good question I was going to say for later, but uh, I think now is the time. It's it's you are such a careful, delicate, intricate, creative storyteller of many people's stories, and it's so rare that I think you touch on your own. and And I think that this book, Wayward, is really kind of it seems like your first real foray into telling your story in like one concise place. Like you mentioned on different stories and posts before, but like this is the first time you've really been like, this is this is my story, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. That's absolutely it. And and I think sometimes it's scary to do that. And you have to become very vulnerable to do that. And I think that maybe that's not the space for somebody getting into like, you know, their creative journey the first year they pick up a camera or whatever it is. It takes time. It took me time. It took me time to like develop the, the I guess you could say the cojones to do that um, because it's hard to put yourself out there, especially with all of our imperfections and everything like that. Totally. And is it something that you think you're going to do more of? I mean, I think you still have a lot of stories to tell, um, especially in regards to, I think, your your children and your family. It seems like something that is, is an area that you talk about often, but I think is something that you, you seems like you definitely want to dive deeper on eventually, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that's kind of like the, the dream, I would say. Um, I think the dream is, is to try to always combine the human powered experience and and the landscape um, that's in front of us with personal stories right as you've noticed like i, I was able to you know I, I started my career telling surf making surf films and, and obviously shooting photos and, and those are great i love that but in the grand scheme of things what's the purpose behind that stuff right is 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 shooting another surf film um that just like kind of goes into the ether is that really valuable i mean maybe maybe not but telling stories about people's struggle. You know, I, I was able to make this film about owner, which was really important to me and Ellie. And then this film Milo, which addresses some of the nuances of being a, um, an indigenous photographer, um, Milo Fowler, who kind of had to, you know, leave the reservation to figure out who he was and then come back to help them. It's a really important story. Um, so I, I, I love the fact that these, these stories are rooted within the backdrop of human adventure, but the narrative is much deeper than that. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. Amazing. Um, and to kind of wrap up that, have, have your kids met uh, Ellie's kids yet? Or Ellie's kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and then, they, they totally and, and so with Iceland, I, I noticed that recently you opened up a studio there, right? So, so you because you spent so much time there, I think it made sense that you finally, you know, build some literal roots um, in the community. Totally. I mean, so that's, that's my goal is like, ultimately, um, you know, uh, ultimately, the hope is that my kids will spend like summers there. I didn't grow up that way. I never grew up like traveling the world or seeing those places. And so it, it feels fortuitous. And then also just like, I need to take advantage of the opportunity to let my kids experience this place that are bigger than them. And, 
and as expensive as that might be and whatever, like, I just feel like this is like all of my experience in Iceland is not just going to be culminated in like a couple films and photos and my own experience. I need to share this with people that I feel like will, will, will benefit from it. Yeah. And I think for you at this point, Iceland is not a destination. It's a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I, I think, I think the, the, uh, someone that you didn't really, you don't mention directly, but someone that I know has impacted you. Um, and I think you might've mentioned him once in the book, but Ansel Adams, do you want to talk about what Ansel's work has meant to you over your career? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that I, it's one of those scenarios where, um, where Ansel's work, oddly enough, <laughs> has been something that I, it, I feel like it's silly to almost be like, he inspired me, because obviously he inspired millions of people. Like, what a stupid thing to say. Um, but as a young kid, my, I, 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 did, I couldn't really go to many places. So Yosemite and the Sierra uh, Nevada mountains were, were, a, were kind of like the, the outer reaches of my world, if you will. Like those were as far as I knew that was like my big, you know, holiday trip with my family would be going there. We didn't fly to the Bahamas. We didn't go to Mexico. So when I saw Ansel's images and almost, it really like, um, it really set a tone for me for what this place was and what it was like and how beautiful it was. And, you know, also Galen Rowell and Edward Weston and, a lot of these other photographers that I looked up to yeah, early totally. on because they were they were documenting places that were accessible to me. Yes, I could dream of going to Greenland and to Africa and whatnot, but where where could I reach? You know, I could reach Big Sur, I could reach Yosemite, et cetera, et cetera. So there's something special about that. Um, later in my career, I was able to actually study a bit of his work and go to the Center for Creative Photography outside of Flagstaff that houses his um, I've been in touch with the family uh, as well. and got a chance to kind of learn a bit more about who he was as a person. I read through his journals. I've looked at his exposures. I've, I've dove deeper into his work to understand it. And I think that's one of the cool things is like, it's fun to immortalize somebody, but to know them as best as you can is really special, you know, to see what their their impact was and to, to study them. You know, I've obviously read his books and whatnot. And so I, I get really excited about that. Like, I, I'm not much a fan of like just staring at someone's work. I mean, that's, that's really pretty. Like, who are they? What do they, what do they care about? What do they do for the environment? What do they try to advocate for? What do they, what do they fear losing most? Because oftentimes a photographer will document what they love and what they fear losing most. And that's kind of how we get to know who they are as a person. So Ansel had a huge impact on me and his work as well. And, and just more than anything though, if he never picked up a camera, I probably would have um, loved what he did for the world, but never really knew. Yeah. I think something you said is so profound photographers like capturing what they fear most to lose. I never really thought about it that way personally. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's one of my favorite ways to, one of my favorite ways to, to, to look, to explore, to explain it, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think in terms of unknown places, you mentioned something in that, in, in your, in your last bit that, I actually don't think I've ever seen you post work um, from Africa or the African continent. Is that is that a region yeah. that you you plan on? I haven't of- been there, man. I've never been. I've I've wanted to go. I've, there's some like outer islands, but I've never really been. I mean, here's the here's the deal. Like, I'm not as intrigued in like warmer places. Like, um, totally. I know that not all not all Africa is warm. South Africa looks amazing, but I I guess I just feel like at a certain point I set my sights upon. Um, a 
upon more Nordic countries and more like the ring of fire, um, you know, the, the poles, so to say, yeah. um, I really, I really enjoy exploring those just more harsh environments where, you know, mountains meet the ocean, where you have that really big dramatic relief where it's like the Absolutely. ocean that comes yeah. right up to it. And then it just juts up out of nowhere. And that's usually where volcanic activity has existed. And there's something that kind of stirs my soul in those places. And I think it makes the images really, really impactful and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. And so I, I recently spent time in Cape Town in South Africa and I, I really didn't know what to expect before going there, but once I got there, not only are the people incredible and the beach is amazing, but you have these ridiculously large mountain formations that are literally right up. It's like, it's like, it's like, it reminded me of California, honestly. Um, but just yeah. you're in such a remote place, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a big city, but also when you realize like where in the world you are, you're like, Oh, I'm closer in Antarctica than I am to Europe, you know, or anywhere else. Um, so, but I, I think for you, one thing that I, I would highly recommend you to do is, is you know, going back to Kilimanjaro, as we talked about, you know, I, I love the fact that because it's really, you know, it's the t obviously the tallest point in Africa and after a certain elevation, yeah. no, nothing comes close. You have these insane mm -hmm. ecological zones where you have fauna and animals and, and plants and different species that only exist there because it's like, this is the only uh, like climate and this area, like that's the only tundra you have in all of Africa, right? Like is on Kilimanjaro. And so you have these wild, wild things that just crop up there. Um, and I think, you, yeah, I think you know, that's interesting it. you say that because I think that one of the, I, I totally relate to that. Like you're going to a place that is so very unique in the fact that like there are few, um, if any ecosystems in the world that are like that. And you actually pass through a whole bunch of different unique like layers and levels of, of different ecosystems as you move up there. Like what a cool thing to, to experience and see, you know, um, I think that to me is like the, the, the coolest aspect of it. I mean, I, I love, I love the idea that like you start, you know, in this almost, you know, arid kind of, you know, tropical desert environment and you move all the way up. It's, it's really wild. Yeah. And it was, it was a fun experience for me, um, especially because, you know, you start off in thick fog, dense jungle rainforest, like what you see out of the jungle book. And then within the first day, you're in something that reminded me of being in like the Yukon or Iceland or Northern Norway, like it, in Finland, it's wild. It's mm -hmm. just all, all in one yeah. day in one place. Um, so moving on from that, um, in your essay, uh, water is a demiurge. Uh, you talk mm -hmm. about, uh, it, it seems like a very pivotal flight for you from Ireland to Iceland, where it was like the first time you saw the, the like uh, sedimentary rivers of Iceland that create these incredible patterns that has become quite a staple in your, um, in your, in your portfolio. Um, it did, did that flight really, was that the first time you really started being like, I, I have to go. I have to dive deeper and, and like figure out what this is and go shoot more of this. Was that, was that that moment? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to give people context, cause I think you're, you're talking about something from the article that people probably don't know what we're talking Sorry, about yeah. here. Um, yeah. I was flying over Iceland. Uh, again, I've been there so many times. One of the trips I was flying from um, Ireland where I was shooting um, this incredible um, surfer over there. And I, uh, I, I took a different route is what I'm saying. So it was like the, the first time I'd ever done that super unique. Um, and all of a sudden I'm like, holy cow, I'm seeing a part of the country I've never seen before. Um, somebody who's basically like going, you know, 
for me, somebody who's going from Europe, traveling over the southern coast, over all these rivers, over all these these glacially fed areas, and it was just so unique. I was like looking out the window. You know, you your plate, you're, you can like all of a sudden see your breath, just like oh, looking yeah. in the window, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. I am so intrigued. Um, and so, ultimately, that was the first time that I started to pay attention to that area, and I. I didn't know what I was looking at. I had no idea. You know, I went straight down to the ground and shot a uh, surf assignment for Surfer Magazine. But then I was like, well, this is something different. This is special. Like, I need to get there. I need to go see that. So it took me a couple of years, but I eventually did fly across those rivers and I was able to explore them. And yeah, it was really special. And and just to give people more context, um, I've been to Iceland a few times myself. You can drive right over the bridges that cross these rivers uh, at ground level mm-hmm. and you will have no idea they're right there. Uh, which is yep. the most amazing thing until you, you have a, a vantage point of elevation or you're from a plane, you wouldn't even know. So I, I think that's, you know, someone asked me, I was with a it's friend. A good, it's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. I brought a friend to Iceland. He's like, where are those cool rivers in Chris's photos? I was like, that's one. He's like, but it doesn't look the same. I'm like, well, we have, we have to go up high. And he's like, could a drone take that? I was like, I feel like you need to be a little bit higher, but uh, depending on the drone, I guess. But um, so, 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 kind of moving into to flight and, and what seems like has become one of the most popular and infamous parts of your entire portfolio is your aerial um, uh, Icelandic river work. Uh, your, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, your dear friend, um, Haralder, I, I feel like I'm going to keep mm-hmm. butchering his name and I, I don't want to. Um, no, 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 it's, you, you basically got it, you know. Uh, and, and so it seems like he was really the enabler um for all this imagery. And, and unfortunately he, he recently passed away in an accident. Um, and I know this affected you immensely. Um, but do you want to share more of your experiences you had with him? Cause I feel like he was such a special soul that I, I was really blown away by the amount of people that seemed to outpour in support of the work he'd done with so many interesting people throughout his life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that is, uh, you know, for me, he was sort of the, um, he was the catalyst um, to me having those experiences. I think that's one, it, there's not there's not really a way to like summarize experiences we've had together. We've flown hundreds of times. He's a really dear friend who sadly I just lost, but ultimately what I like to think about is that I was super lucky to, to have met someone that amazing and incredible and, and willing to share. Like I think about the fact that most people who reached out to me, um, you know, uh, and said, Hey, I want to go to Iceland. Like where can I, what should I do? What should I see? What should I experience? I would always be like, well, the, the, you need to fly. Like in order to really see the place you need to fly, what you can cover in a couple hour flight, you, you would never be able to see or experience in, you know, all these, you know, driving around, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it's interesting to me that like, I introduced a lot of people to him. I was able to get a lot of people in his plane to go see the world and that, that I loved, um, which is Iceland from the sky. But for him to be up in the air, sharing with people what what they would often describe as their their quintessential, their their best experience, maybe their best day ever. Like the amount of people that were like, that was my best, my favorite experience I've ever had in my life. So to be somebody who is constantly sharing with people, sharing a cockpit, you know, sharing a plane, um, you know, facilitating somebody's best day ever, like that's pretty damn special. That's pretty amazing you know like how many days do i get to like interact with somebody where i'm i'm giving them their life's best experience 
Like, yeah, I, I don't absolutely. know, maybe a couple throughout my whole life. For him, it was literally every day that he would fly. And, um, and that's an amazing, amazing way. I mean, if you were to just categorize someone's life in like terms of value and quality, like I think that he lived an incredible life. And, and for me, he taught me so much. You know, he was my flight instructor. He's the person who would sign off my book and show me <laughs> these places. And obviously I would just try to, you know, get him to take me to these incredible locations to go explore and see. And, and he had such a passion for creating beautiful imagery and and telling stories through that. And, um, you know, my book um, at Glacier's End, which documents Iceland's glacial river systems and the risk they face, the threat they face, um, he was a big component of, um, of me making that. He was a big, he was, he was huge in, uh, in me wanting to create that book because he's the one who educated me on to what the, what, what issues they were facing and what was going through that, you know, what was going through the, the country's, you know, what they were, what they were suffering from and whatnot in terms of um, extractive industries and things like that. So I, I feel like uh, I owe so much to him more than just creating beautiful images. I owe a lot of like education and everything else. So. And I just want to say thank you for, um, and I know you have to get out of here in two minutes, and but I just want to say thank you for, you know, capturing these moments, right? I, I think a lot of people wouldn't be as aware of what his, how incredible his life was without the work that you do. Um, and and yeah, so it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a marriage of, of 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 experience. You know, I look around my office now, my gallery, and it's like it's almost like a shrine to those experiences, which makes it a little harder. You know, when you lose somebody and you're like, it's not like your whole house has pictures of him everywhere or them. You know, but for me, it's like everywhere I look, there's a photo that we created together, and I I'm I'm eternally grateful for that. But also, it's it's um it's hard to process, and it's also uh, but I I feel like a responsibility to share that with people still. You know, Absolutely. and, and yeah. doesn't, doesn't allow me, you know, I don't think he would allow me just to be like, oh, you gotta like, you know, can't talk about these things anymore. Can't share. I'm like, no, he, he would want me to like, you know, talk about me even more. So. I love it. Um, I'm going to get you out of here on one quick last little question. Um, and thank you so much. Yeah. We'll have to do a, a round three because I have a whole other section of questions that I'd, I'd love to ask you one day, but is there any singular any, any time, piece? Man. Appreciate it. Is there any singular piece of advice that he imparted with you that really kind of sticks in your head? That's a great question. And I would say, I mean, I don't know if there was like a verbal piece of advice that he imparted. Um, but I think that, I think that the, one of the things that he talked about a lot with me sitting in the plane was how, when you're in these situations, like you're riding a bike or you're, you're flying a plane, you're forced into the here and now you're forced into the, into the moment. Right. That's what's so beautiful is like, I, I can't describe how many times, you know, when we're flying, it's like my, the whole time we're there, I'm just glued to the window. I'm glued looking out on the ground. And, um, you know, it's not any different than it's the same landscape that you and I walk through or drive through, but simply changing your perspective, elevating your perspective from one, two, 3000 feet in the air. Like that was enough to just absolutely make me so significantly focused and, and, um, and give all my attention to it. You know, imagine if we went through our daily lives with that same amount of focus and attention and, and zeal and excitement, right? We, we, it would be amazing. But so he really helped me to like, think about just being in the moment, realizing what's special about that moment um, and kind of adhering to it. And, and I guess if anything, you know, he, uh, <laughs> he was always a big advocate of me kind of 
slowing down and, and, and taking things in a little bit more. And I guess I think that if anything, I've tried to think about how I can be a same, a friend like that to other people, you know, somebody who is willing to share those, those truly life-changing experiences and also kind of advocate for people, champion them. Like that's, that's the thing that I, I've really tried to take away from it. Absolutely. Well, that, that was incredible. And thank you so much for your time again. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you. Yeah, man. Hopefully a while riding bikes or something like that. Yeah, I'll stop by next time and uh, we'll record in person. Yeah, awesome. Perfect, man. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Chris Burkhart. You can find Chris Burkhart online at Chris Burkhart. That's C-H-R-I-S-B-U-R-K-A-R-D. And his most recent book, Wayward, is available wherever books are sold. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. 